Good afternoon, good evening, and good night, everyone. My name's Alon. And my name's Ara. This, of course, is the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show, episode number 1,008,008. And, well, I'm still in my house in Denver. It's looking nicer than ever, although still not awesome. Not finished, I mean. Would you be surprised to hear I'm still in Phoenix? Yeah. I I mean, no, I'm not. I'm not surprised to hear that. Um, Being in Denver, I suppose... I should talk about the great 420 holiday that just happened. Unfortunately, I don't have all that much to talk about, but I did go down to uh, like central Denver where they have some, you know, a big event in the Civic Center Park. And one thing that was interesting, uh, by the way, for those that don't know, pot is totally legal in Colorado and Washington for that matter. And so 420, which was Easter, uh, was also a big, you know, holiday for other reasons around here. And, um, for whatever reason, and I don't remember why, I was reading about it, but, oh, yeah, um, doing it publicly, or at least at least smoking it, and I suspect using it in all forms publicly, is still against the rules. Um, although I imagine the only way that you would ever get bothered for it is if you're smoking, because you could just be eating candy and it looks like candy. So who would know? Um, but anyway, so like the, the people who are organizing the event, they wanted to promote people you know using um just as like here go do it and especially like at 420 on 420 everybody's supposed to like toke up at the same time or whatever um so they wanted to promote it but they were told that they wouldn't be able to get a license to do the event if they openly you know promoted it and so they were like these signs it was right by city hall too you know what that sounds like uh what it sounds like time for a covert promotion. Yeah, well, I think the whole thing was a not-so-covert promotion. But um, there were, like, these big signs leading right up towards City Hall. You know, those, like, electric signs you see on the side of the highways and stuff that tell you, you know, there's an accident so many feet ahead or whatever. You know the one that um, people hack to say zombie attack coming 50 feet? Yeah, yeah, exactly those. So uh, it, those, you know, it said something like, you know, public marijuana use is illegal and will be cracked down on or whatever. But I didn't see anything like that happening. But um, that was an interesting situation. But aside from that, I could not stay for very long because um, while I am not a big pot user, my wife being pregnant is definitely not a pot user. And, uh, you know, there was smoke in a lot of places. And so we had to get out of there pretty fast. But anyway, <clears throat> it was interesting. And if you're into that thing, Colorado is a really nice place. Feel free to come and visit. Uh, not a lot of video games there, though. You know, you just reminded me of something that's completely irrelevant, but I just got to mention. I was yeah. driving the other day, and this is this is so this is irrelevant to anything irrelevant. That's how irrelevant this is. Okay, but this is so good. Drive. I was driving around the other day, and there was a sticker on the back of somebody's car, and this is the most. This is the this is the best sticker ever. It said, "Stay back, fifty miles." <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> is is that a reference to something I should I should know, or was he just telling you to stay off his? It his was bed? a reference to her driving behavior, which had already exhibited a tremendous amount of weaving before I could read the su- the sticker. Oh, okay, that's funny. That's right. that was incredible. That's um, you don't you don't this. I love this stuff because you don't find that kind of. Uh, subtlety and dimension and depth in people's welfare stickers. Yeah. Uh, speaking of driving, I kind of want to talk about this video that you just posted. Oh yeah. So, sure. so tell me about. Well, you you introduce it. So, as you guys may or may not know, I post some videos of my online racing excursions on my YouTube, um, which should be pretty easy to find. And so I tried an experiment the other day where I mounted the camera to a helmet and I mounted the helmet to my head. And I realized something that I never noticed before. And that's when I'm racing in my racing video game and I'm turning, I'm actually doing a lot of leaning and I was completely oblivious to it until I watched myself do it. So I'm curious, when you ran this experiment, did you do it because you thought maybe you lean your head? Or were you just trying to see what it would look like from the helmet? Well, one thing I noticed was that 
there's you know i'm i'm trying a bunch of different things with the recording to get the best kind of presentation quality and so i've been trying like different camera placements and stuff like that and this this stuff is non-trivial right because what i'm doing is i'm recording a rig of you know three very large uh screens that are you know surrounding me so one of the things i noticed was that if if the camera's close enough for the view to look good, I can't see all three screens at once. Yeah. So partially this was a way to compensate for that. So, and also I, I was aware that my head was turning. So I thought, well, this would be cooler because, you know, of all those reasons and, you know, a couple of other subtle reasons. So I said, you know, I said, okay, I'm going to try it this way. And here's the really funny thing that happened was that, I figured out what I was doing while having been consciously oblivious to it until I actually observed myself. And what I'm actually doing is the part of me that does not realize that there's just three flat screens in front of me is trying to look around the corner. Yeah, so I do that with one screen playing, well, whatever game, but uh, most recently I've talked about Titanfall, right? Um, Yeah. So, you know that Titanfall is a first-person shooter, but there's also, you know, you eject from your Titan sometimes, and when you do that, the well, your character flies up, but more importantly, other people ejecting, their character just flies up like an unrealistically high height, right? Do you look at the ceiling every time you do that? Yeah, so, like, <laughs> you, you've got to move your control stick to look up in the game, but I'm, like, actually turning my head... Like a lot. Your video shows like some subtle turns and leaning. Oh, oh, it's not subtle if you watch it again. It's I think if you pay attention to the angle, there's a couple of pretty extreme tilting going on there. Okay. Well, maybe you are more like me. But w- when I was watching it, the the parts that I was noticing, they seemed relatively subtle. Maybe I was just watching a bit that, that was that way naturally. But maybe. I will, like, you also kind of have to like really pay attention because it's actually – it's the funny other, the other funny part is that you wouldn't know that it was – just the head being tilted if you weren't told that. Like, well, it looks like it's part of a simulator just with... Like, so it makes it harder to notice, is what I'm saying. Well, for me, obviously, I'm not expecting any sort of simulator when I'm playing. But, like, I move my head to the point of next strain. That's <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't have noticed it. Like, it might be subtle, but I was like, whoa, I'm looking up really high. Now, I'm... Right now, my house is not... You know, I'm not on a couch. I have to sit in front of a little chair in front of a tiny screen because I don't... I don't have even my furniture in my house yet, but um, it, it's strange to me how much I turn my head if, for no reason, like no real reason whatsoever. And then I try to think about, you know, if we, you know, when I have Oculus in the future, when we have this virtual reality system that's real, um, how much will turning my head become an active part of the game, whereas now it doesn't actually do anything. My fingers still control everything, and they are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, when you have that and you add in the head movement, you know, how are they going to account for that? Is, you know, because people are still going to want to sit in their chairs, not necessarily stand up and be turning around every time they want to turn around in the game. So they're going to have to figure out some sort of system where I still control everything with a controller, but head movements, subtle or not, will still have only a subtle reaction in the game. Well, I don't know. I think I think that there's going to be two kinds of games depending on what your what the developer is willing to make you do. Cuz well, you get two different exp- cuz you love and I'm not actually I'm surprised that you're saying this because you love the whole you love the whole virtual window thing with the tablet where you have to like turn around in place and stuff. Oh, oh, let me be clear. I personally love the idea of moving around in free space and keeping it one-to-one. But yeah. I know that that's not... They're not going to be able to build a game and say, that's just this is how you do it, and expect people to do that, especially because the device isn't designed to be totally wireless, at least not yet. And so as long as you have wires, you can't, be, you can't allow for infinite turning. Yeah, there, there will be usability issues, though, with a, a turning rate that is not exactly one-to-one. So anytime they make that concession, it, I mean, there's going to be that compromise no matter what. Yeah, I'm curious to see how it turns out. Um, So, anyway. uh, The the aspect of this that I think is um, really interesting is that this is kind of like how, you know when they show commercials of people playing video games? 
Oh yeah, and everybody's moving with the game. They're like yeah, like the con- they're like moving the controller or when you watch uh, little kids play uh, platformers on the NES, they'll this was like a common thing that I I used to see all the time. Um, I wonder I wonder if people still do this a lot, but they right what what we would do as kids or watch kids do is uh, whenever they would jump, it's like they would actually raise the controller physically, like almost about a foot sometimes, to make them, to help them jump better. Right. Of, of course, it's not helping anything, right? But it's kind of like, it's like, I, I think what it is is like this redundant, like kinesthetic reinforcement. If that makes any sense. And you see, um, you see pinball... Tournament players do this too, where if you ever watch a high-stakes pinball tournament, you will see that the people who are playing, they'll, like, contort their body into, like, these really exaggerated movements when all they're really doing is pressing one digital button, which is the flipper. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely seen that with the controller, people hopping a controller up, and and you're right, pinball is that way. But pinball, I don't know, to me, pinball seems a little bit different because... I don't know. You're still just pressing tiny buttons, but because you're standing there and it's a real thing, like people tend to hit it with more flair or strength um, than you would a normal controller. So I I don't know. It feels to me like almost natural for them to to be more extreme in their motions when playing the game. Um, Well, I mean, you're standing up, but on the other hand, right, it's it's even more obvious that it's – it's just the digital control that you're manipulating. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's just weird. Maybe I'm just used to seeing that. Anyway, anyway, it's time to break. So, uh, you know, we will be back in just a minute, and we'll talk about some other things with perhaps weird control mechanisms. We'll be right back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. And we're back. It's Chatterbox Video Game Radio. You know, you can find us on Facebook at slash Chatterbox Video Game Radio. And, uh, you know, I mentioned right before the break, I want to talk about something with different control mechanisms. And um, this is really just because I'm pissed off that Mario Golf World Tour is coming out for the Nintendo 3DS. How could Uh, that possibly piss you off? Well, let me tell you. First of all, it's a better golf game than the one that, like, came with the Wii um, in the little sports pack thing. Uh, But the Wii U needs games and golf somehow is one of the more fun games on the in the the wii motion control environment look along they're not going to be making anything for wii u anymore come on they, they just i mean they released golf they they re-released uh three of the games from wii sports into like downloadable only wii u games they first that's so yeah it came out with like tennis and one boring one um and then the golf one followed like a month later. And I think they might do the other two as well. And they're like, you can pay $2 to play it for a day or you can pay $10 to have it permanently. Um, That's a I, weird deal. Yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of a test for them, something they hadn't done before. So you could just like, you know, when your friends come over, just pay $2 and you guys get to play it for the, you know, for your party or whatever. Um, and then never have to touch it again. So it, it's cool, but you can buy the whole thing if you want, which is probably how I would do it. And golf was the game I enjoyed most on the Wii, but I also complained about how it wasn't very realistic because it didn't take into account um, enough sensing data, you know, through the controller. But with the more advanced, you know, Wii Motion Plus that's there now, 
and um, you know the how you can put the Wii U gamepad on the floor when you're putting, so you can see the the golf ball and stuff. Um, that would be interesting to put into like a full fledged golf game. Yet they're creating a new golf game that comes out in like a week and a half, and it's for the 3DS. And I don't understand. Um, the reason this even hit my radar is because it's doing an interesting thing with, well, not so interesting, but it's it's got downloadable content, which is relatively rare for Nintendo. Um, what is interesting is that they're releasing three separate DLC packs, one of which is released on the date of the game's release, which I don't think Nintendo has done before. But, I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure. They don't, they don't do a lot of DLC to begin with, but to release it on the date of release for the game is weird. They're they're starting to do a lot more uh, online and also like free to play style experimentation type stuff. Yeah, they're definitely testing out a lot of different revenue generating methods. And you know, I, people often bitch about DLC that exists on day one, and I mean, I certainly do to a certain extent as well. I just didn't expect it to come from Nintendo. But more importantly, I'm pissed off that they're bringing out Mario Golf and are not doing it for the Wii U. Um, I don't know how it could be fun on the DS. I don't know how golf can be fun on any system that doesn't actually have the motion controls in it, but they have the opportunity to do it. You know, why, why the hell not? And that, well, you don't, you don't like pressing uh, a button three times to determine your um, angle and power and some whatever else of your strike. No, I don't. <laughs> Although in the case of the three DS, I'm sure that it's very much like golden tea golf using the touchpad and, you know, a, mm. uh, a stylus. <clears throat> But, uh, you know, so maybe that actually wouldn't be so bad because Golden Tee Golf is kind of fun. Um, and so maybe it's good on the 3DS with that touchpad. But I really think they need to bring out a real golf game um, on the Wii U. And it's annoying that, that they're not. Maybe we'll see that, you know, next year or something. Whatever. All right. You had a bunch of other stuff to talk about that's probably a lot more um, thorough and real. So let's let's get to that. Yeah. Well, there's a, some big news came out recently um, about China. And the news is actually – this was announced back in January that the Chinese government would be lifting um, their ban on video game consoles, which this ban had been in place for like the past 13 years. But just this week, what they announced were the exact terms of this uh, lift on the ban. So they have released a list of restrictions – that any game that's a console game that comes out in China uh, must adhere to these restrictions. You want to hear what they are? Um, sure. Sure. Go, go for it. All right. Well, uh, number one is uh, gambling-related content or game features. So um, I don't know how they're going to uh, exclude, like, PC and mobile games from this because a lot of – Games, especially ones that are popular in China, have those types of things. So, but we're talking just about consoles, right? Yes, these are specifically restrictions just for video game consoles that uh, may or may not happen to come out in China, according to whatever the first party people want to do. But then the PC stuff doesn't apply, right? No, this wouldn't apply to anything. So this this is the other funny part is that none of these would apply to anything other than specifically video game consoles. Yeah. So what's the big deal? What are you What are you talking about with the gambling stuff I'm pointing out that it's ironic that they would limit it to one type of media but not not necessarily so on the other t- the other mediums that are really popular in China okay I gotcha I think the idea is that the video game consoles are aimed at kids well um, you know that's a, a really really good uh, cover story to run if you want to totally uh, you know control something sure um, so anyway there's a whole bunch of more of these so uh, let's move on. Uh, number two is anything that violates China's constitution, which uh, I'm not familiar with, but I thought everything violated China's constitution. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's pro- probably a long list within that. And, that uh, you know, they can't just stop there. So they also have to include anything that threatens China's uh, national unity, uh, sovereignty or territorial integrity. And going along with that even further – Anything that harms the nation's reputation or security or interests. See, this one is great because you can say anything you don't want to have there is going to violate the nation's interest. 
because you're not interested in having it as a Chinese official, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, anything that instigates racial slash ethnic hatred or harms ethnic traditions and cultures. Um, okay, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's not a free speech place here, but, uh, you know, it's good not to be mean, I guess. Anything that violates China's policy on religion by promoting cults or superstitions. That one could be a little bit wide. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any superstitions that are commonplace in yeah. China. But. You know, what I'm starting to think about, like, is what if there is a game that, you know, lots of games recognize lots of countries, right? Because you can choose your country for your you know, let's say golfer or whatever, right. or maybe you're playing, you know, Rise of the Three Kingdoms or something. Um, if there's a game that simply recognizes the existence of Tibet, you know, yeah, they say or, that's not allowed? Or America. I mean, if you can pick a country other than China, doesn't that challenge uh, China's national unity? Well. Because you're not being Chinese enough if you're rooting for another country. Uh, that's a good point. All right. Anyways. There's like four more. This is great. Um, anything that promotes or incites obesity – wait, excuse me, obscenity. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> drug, that is a totally different thing. Drug use, violence, or gambling. Um, so I guess anything that could be construed as violent could also be construed as promoting violence. That's a rough one. So that's like most video games. Yeah. Uh, anything that harms public ethics or China's culture and traditions. Um, okay, nicely broad. That could be the one that says you're not allowed to acknowledge the existence of Tibet. Yeah, yeah maybe. Anything that insults, slanders, or violates the rights of others. Okay. I, well, wait, this is not that okay. Um, so you can't, you can't slander. Okay. Slander is bad, but you can't insult anybody. Um, so I guess this falls under, like, uh, no satire of any public figures whatsoever. Yeah. Or even maybe fic fictional figures. I'm, I'm pretty sure if you're in China, you are smart enough not to do that anyway. And uh, the last one is, of course, uh, whatever else violates the law you can't do. So, um, yes, very nicely broad to suit uh, whatever agenda the Chinese government may uh, wish to whimsically promote or not at any given time. Yeah. And I mean – I understand your your opposition there, but again, if you're in, if you're in China, like if I were making games in China and I I lived there, I would be really careful without those laws or rules in place. I would already be like, you know what? I'm not going to make fun of anybody in the government or do anything yeah. that could piss them off. Because and you can still make Tetris. I mean, they'll just take you out in a straitjacket anyway, right? If they want to, it doesn't matter if you violated a rule that's on the books or not. Yeah. Just you know. Although erasing blocks could be construed as violence. Erasing blocks? Yeah, like you do like in Tetris? Tetris. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean there's a block there and then the next second it's completely eradicated from existence. Yeah, it's if like that, breaking the unity. If that's not if that's not violent, I don't know what is. Okay. All right, fine. Wait, wait. I actually have one last thing to say about this. Uh, some people are saying that actually this is not going to affect much change at all one way or the other uh, simply because the console gray market is so huge in China. Yeah, I mean that's probably true but what so, do I know? You know and, and I think the I rule before by the way was just consoles that weren't made in China because like Nintendo no, they can't. Chinese console, the mm -hmm. IQ or something. Ooh, wait, no. I think that was before though. That's what I'm saying. That was before the 13-year ban. No, it so wasn't. The ban was on, on sale of consoles in China. Could it have been? Oh, my God. That was yeah. like no, – it was about like 15 years ago that that thing came out. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Thir 13 years ago was still past 2001, you know? Wow. I do not know when that thing came out. I know it was way after the Nintendo 64 because that's what it was, a Nintendo yeah. 64. Um, man, I don't know. Okay. Well, that's sufficiently crazy for me, but I know that a lot of companies are talking about, you know, now that now they're going to release their consoles there and see what happens. But uh, it's strange because people still aren't like it's communist. So people shouldn't have money, but there's lots and lots of rich people in China now. So I'm confused by that. But 
Anyway, it's break time again, so we're going to do that, and we'll be right back. I'm done complaining about Mario Golf. Um, I'm excited about Mario Kart, by the way, coming out in just over a month. So Another that one? Should be fun. Mario Which Kart num- 8. What number? 8? Eight? 8 for the Wii U. It's going to be the best one ever. I kind of wish you were in town so we could play together. but So I can um, feel like I'm not in control with crazy rubber banding like usual? Well, when you're – I don't think there's rubber banding for the human players. So oh. if we get a bunch of people over to play, like we would probably all go over to Tim's and play some I, Mario Kart. I believe there is. If it's if it's a network game, then I'm ready to do it. Uh, they've got rubber banding with like items, like yeah. the people who are in the back get the really that's, good items. That's the big one. Yeah, but I don't think there's like we're going to give you extra speed if you're behind. Do they? Uh, I don't remember if they do that aspect of it or not. Because right. let, let me tell you, I've fallen behind and stayed behind. Well, I mean, I'm sure that's possible with rubber banding also. <laughs> if you're just that bad? Well, I'm just saying it's possible to be sufficiently bad to not take advantage of any rubber banding. I suppose. Without making a judgment value on your personal Mario Kart skills. It's not very good. I'm sure I would get better with a little bit of practice, but um, I have practiced very little. Anyway, I want to change gears a bit. There, there was an article that I saw just actually like an hour ago, which caught my interest. Um, when we think back to, you know, the development of, of games, I know that the earliest games were before this. But really, when people think of the earliest video games, they're usually thinking of stuff like Space Invaders, you know, and Donkey Kong and Pac-Man. That's really when it caught the public's attention. Yeah, although Space Invaders is pretty far back. I mean, the original version, at least. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, the very first video game was, you know, not in arcade form. It was on some weird machine or computer, right? And so it took a while for people to realize, hey, we could make money on this, just add a quarter machine and, and all that. Um, but anyway, my point is, Atari was a big deal. Atari was kind of like, for a while, it was kind of the only show in town. Um, although, you know, Williams sort of came on the scene as well. And Yeah, it was, it was also the hardest stick in town. Uh, Well, that's – yeah, it's also true. So anyway, there's some guy. um, I don't know how he came upon this, and that's probably part of the story as well. But at some point he noticed that the stuff was getting thrown away or something, and it went to auction. I I don't know. Maybe someone put it to auction. doesn't matter. A guy named Scott Evans, according to this article, he worked in electronics recycling and salvaging. He bought – yeah, he bought a bunch of stuff at a liquidation sale, which is basically like – the entire history of Atari. Um, now, do we know what kind of liqui- liquidation sale this was? No. I, I've, like, I would love to find these sales. I don't know. Like, was it Atari putting on the sale? Was it, like, uh, whatever, Broward County or wherever Atari no, used to be headquartered? No, so it wasn't Atari like- because Midway bought them up. And so it says all this stuff was bought up when Midway Games, after acquiring Atari Games, the coin yeah. division spun off of law, shut down in 2003. And then there was a liquidation sale yeah, after Midway shut down. Um, okay, so it's Midway's sale. Midway's sale of Atari – of all their stuff, which included Atari stuff um, prior to 2003. I know Atari still exists, right? So it's nothing – none of this new stuff. Um, yeah, by the but, way, the article – I mean effectively in name only, but yeah. The article I'm reading is from Polygon.com written by Owen Good. Uh, if you want to go read this stuff, since I'm quoting out of it, I figure I should – you know, give the proper annotation. Um, anyway, this this guy has given stuff to, what is it called here? The International Center for the History of Electronic Games, the ICHEG, uh, given stuff to them before. And then, you know, he finally decided to, I guess, give like everything. And it's it includes stuff like source code for a game that never came out. 
um, all on 8-inch floppy disks, which I didn't even know were a thing. Although I guess I have seen them before in pictures. Like oh, giant, those, those things are fantastic. Giant flippity-floppity yes. disks. Not just five and a quarter, but eight inch. No, not only is it larger, but it's also slower than a five and a half, quarter inch floppy. Oh, is it? Oh, yes. And by larger, I just mean physically. I think it actually stores far less data than even a five and a quarter inch Oh, floppy. yeah, probably. Probably. Just because as they get newer and smaller, they also get better. Um, but it also it has other stuff, too. It has, like, business records and... Um, like videotapes of various formats, they say, like Betamax and VHS and whatever. Um, videotapes of focus groups, how people responded to these games. Um, that is had, fascinating. Yeah, it has notes from like field reports of when Atari people went out to a game show, saw Joust, which was not one of their games. And then it's like, all right, what do we think of Joust and what are we going to do about it <laughs> in response? You know, because somebody made this really cool Joust game. And so it's just this treasure trove of material that is all about like the, the early, early history of essentially games since Atari was all there was for games for the most part. Um, you know, it's, it's just this huge piece of history. And by, you know, they refer in the article to basically just dumb luck that this stuff, first of all, existed and was, you know, found and archived relatively well and then given over to a place that can do something useful with it. So it's going to take them a long time to catalog all this stuff and actually potentially make a museum exhibit out of it. Or, well, I'm sure they're going to eventually. Um, but it's just fascinating. At least the idea of it is fascinating to me, um, what they might might find from this if you're if you're interested in you know this sort of history and the beginnings of things whet your appetite by reading this this polygon article um it doesn't have a lot of you know juicy stuff in there it just talks about how this stuff was found and has been turned over to the the museum but um this this is amazing like the, there's not a lot of other times in in history where you find like i think here's what they refer to it they say it's it's like if we were able to get gutenberg's Gutenberg's uh, business records and tell how he was able to recreate or create the printing press. Um, you know, that stuff doesn't exist. People just make things and then it gets lost, you know, in time. But apparently they kept records. I guess one of the videos is even of just like a holiday party or an office party rather, um, which would be weird. I would actually, I might feel a little violated as one of the workers if stuff like that was handed over, but I guess that's part of the package. Um, and just the, the sheer thought of it is uh inherently interesting to me and i would love i put this on our facebook page like i don't think i would have the patience to look through all of it but i really would love to anyway like i'd love to just get my hands on some of the stuff and see what sort of weird treasures are are in there you know what treasure i'd love to find in there what the uh document that explains how uh their goal for the 2600 joystick was to make the most difficult to use mechanical interface possible (laughs) Yeah. You know, with what I know today, if I were still playing the Atari, like I would just convert a Nintendo uh, D-pad or whatever to... Yeah, that that thing just makes all kinds of no sense to me. It's like they planned on purpose. They're like, you know what, let's make sure that you just can hardly move the joystick at all so you can't even really tell if you're really moving it or not. So you have to just apply so much force that... um, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, I'm sure it's better today. I haven't used one of those. I forget what it is. It Jax J A K K S that remakes those little Atari controllers with all the games inside of them. I don't know. I bet the controller is not as as janky as the real Atari controller. But yeah, it's just it's funny because it's like they're it's like you're taking off like all of the like uh, what's the worst thing to do in a haptic interface checklist. Well, yeah, you're also talking about technology that is what like. 30 years old at this point? Yeah, but that's that's no excuse because keyboards were older technology, but you knew when you were pressing that key and you didn't have to apply 90 newtons of foot-pounds of force. Uh, Yeah, you're right. But at the same time, they didn't have a lot of experience in that that area. They were still using like... By the way, I just mixed up two uh, units of measure that are about like different by a factor of 100. Uh, Well, I didn't know their their factor differences, but I did know you switched up the... Okay. (laughs) Anyway, I'm excited to see what comes out of that museum from that stuff. Yeah, well, I want to see those documents. <laughs> All right, well, what do we have next here? Um, yeah, remember Grid 2? 
I remember you complaining about it. Yeah, I remember how I kept complaining about it, and then also I kept on talking about I, you know, I really, I really want to buy it, but you know, not for like a penny over twenty dollars, um, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I waited so long that I just completely lost interest, and it's actually down to like fifteen dollars. But uh, so you just never got it. But I'm, I'm just like I don't care anymore. It's and and of course. Uh, Millions and millions agreed with me because this game was the one that everyone was complaining about, including myself in detail in past shows about how they basically um, – they took everything surface level about the game that was good and emphasized it and de-emphasized everything um, that was actually good about it. Uh, and that is to say mechanically good uh, in terms of how it raced, how it felt, all this stuff. And – Something unprecedented happened because I almost never see see companies doing this. But they've just announced a new version of the game, which is actually remarkably, it's coming out in like a few months, like in June. And it's called Grid Autosport. And they're basically saying, hey, we listened to you. We listened to everything you said about how bad Grid 2 was. And we're going to fix it. Do you think so, they're going to turn off the motion blur too? Well, I don't know. It remains to be seen um, what they're actually going to make, of course. But at least on the surface level, ostensibly, uh, it seems like they figured out that what people really want is a racing game that controls in a precise, satisfying feeling way um, instead of one that is just simply easy to control and they also figured out that, like, yes, you know, we don't care about uh, just overweight narrative storylines about a race car driver. And, you know, it, yeah, it remains to be Are seen. Are you just guessing you say we're going to get rid what? of these things? No, no. They said they – I'm paraphrasing. But they said that basically we figured out that that you guys don't want this narrative-heavy stuff. And um, – you know, I mean, they did. It's, it's the typical PR speak, so it's vague enough so that you're not really sure if uh, they really do understand what they effed up about the last game or not. Um, but I'm optimistic, at least. This is, I mean, the classic like make a game, make a sequel by changing it. People don't like the changes, and then go back to the original formula. Like I've I've said a million times, um, Nintendo did that. Yeah, but but specifically, you know, a lot of the changes they made were these kinds of changes that like. Basically, were obvious changes you would make to to either pander to a much larger crowd or to take the game super mass market at the expense of the niche fans. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose, but it it still stands. Like they make a change, people don't like it, they go back. And I bet the third one's going to be a lot like the first. I guess what people want. Well, I hope, I hope so. All right, well, we're going to break. We'll be right back in just a minute. And we're back once again. It's the last segment for this week. It's Chatterbox Video Game Radio. I've got nothing to fill here. Nothing. I don't want to pitch our Facebook page or anything else. Let's just get into it. You, you are ta- Today's the 22nd, so tomorrow is your day, right? Tomorrow, I guess tomorrow is my day, yeah. Um, tomorrow I'm going to be delivering another talk. And I probably mentioned this before because this is going to be like a redo of a talk I just gave where we actually ran out of time because of logistics, and it was funny because I was like, I don't know. I felt like I was like 15% through the talk, and then the guy held up the sign that said 10 minutes left, and I'm like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, I'm serious. Um, So anyway. um, This this isn't the one we've mentioned recently, though. It's not the one that you gave at Tech Forum or whatever it was recently. No, it is the one that I gave at a Tech Forum. But that, most recently that, you were talking about the free-to-play yes. stuff. No, but this is after that actually. So this is not related to any free-to-play stuff. This okay. is not the same topic as what we posted a special on, uh, I guess, a little little. Yeah, that was only like ago. a month ago. Yeah. So this is really interesting to me. I'm super psyched about this because this is like for me bringing together 
a lot of patterns that I've been noticing lately. And it actually brings together like a lot of things that like I put into my other talks and I started noticing patterns with all these things that are like sim seemingly disparate. Anyway, I figured we could talk about some of the stuff I'm going to cover in the talk tomorrow because it's just, um, well, like, like I was indicating, I don't hear people talking about this stuff very much and I think it's really fascinating. So basically the gist is there's four really common industry practices that go into how games are made or designed. And one thing I noticed about all these, and we'll, we'll get into what they are in a second, is that they, first of all, beforehand, they were all things that I was very um, uncomfortable about as a designer, just professionally. But I never really figured out exactly why that was until I started considering these things in unison and also thinking about how they related to how people learn games. Does that make sense? Uh, well, I think I want more information before I say if it makes sense or not. Like keep, how, keep going. how you learn a game by playing the game or however it is you actually learn how to do the things in the game. Okay. Right. So, so in other words, there's four things I think happen very frequently in game development that um, – they have a detrimental effect on the player's ability to learn. And I think consequently, it also hurts what people sometimes call like player engagement. In other words, these things they do make it harder for you to learn how to play the game. And by way of that, it actually makes it harder for you to get into the game and like the game. Okay. So what are they? So... Um, let's see, since this is, well, this was actually like, I've got like uh, over an hour's worth of material in my head. So I'm going to yeah, list can them you all. condense it to five minutes, please? No, you know what? We're, no, let's do it this way. I'm going to like list them off and then, uh, you can pick the one that you think is the one that's most interesting for us to talk about. All right. So the, basically the first one is one of the things that I covered in a previous talk, which is just how they monetize the free to play games. And it's basically the same thing that I previously covered, which in a nutshell is if you don't if – you, if you ever have a game where you can get ahead by buying your way out, right? Basically what you're doing is you're sacrificing learning for progress. And what ends up happening is that you don't um, – well, anyway, that's the one. I don't want to get too heavy into any of these – before mm -hmm. I list them all off. So that's one of them. The other one is um, how game companies all the time, they make games more accessible. But by, by way of making them more accessible, they actually make them harder to learn or they make them the, the learning content uh, less deep. That's number two. Number three is how basically grinding kills learning and that also kills how engaged you can get with the game in certain ways, anyway. It also has its own effects, which is interesting. And then the fourth one, actually, we kind of talked about earlier, which was rubber banding. Why they do rubber banding and how that actually, that kills learning. And it also kills how well you can get, how, how, how deeply you can get into the game, how engaged you can be with the game. Well, couldn't you also argue that rubber banding helps by keeping you more engaged? Yes. Like if if I don't have to could. learn a better way to pass you over and over yeah. in an, in some racing game because I'm just easily ahead of you the whole time or always behind, right. then I'm not actually going to learn. So rubber banding doesn't I think doesn't necessarily kill that. It might well, actually help. So here's the thing that's this is a really subtle point here, but this is this is the uh crux of the matter is that what what actually ends up happening is that uh, rubber banding is good for people who have a kind of like steady state outlook on how good they are with the game. In other words, if they don't think that they can get any better at the game, then rubber banding is good for them because it allows them to enjoy better progress and performance than they could otherwise do. But at the same time, it also – like just by virtue of what rubber banding is – 
and I guess I'd better define it if uh, people don't know what we're talking about. It's essentially uh, the further behind you are in a competition, you get artificial boosts to your performance and, so, and sometimes in subtle ways that you can't notice a lot uh, very well. Um, it might also do the inverse, right? If you're yeah, doing and when too you're well, winning, it could well, make it harder yes. for you. And actually that inverse part is um, why it's actually so dangerous. And it and, – and it, well, I don't want to get into that. But it's um, – because here's the problem is that when it works against you, what it's essentially doing is it's punishing you for having learned something. And that extra ability or performance that you could have got gotten out of your uh, learning how to do something better has actually been muted, right? It's basically like you figured out how to do something and you got slapped in the face and you're not allowed to do that. And so that's actually uh, psychologically really defeating to somebody's motivation if they get motivated by learning how to do something in the game. Yeah, I mean I hear you there. But at the same time, you're taking it to an extreme. It's pretty rare that they're like, you did so well. We're just going to take you down 10 pegs. No, but it's, it's not. More because subtle that's, than that. No, but it isn't more subtle than that because that actually is what happens. Uh, people who do really good in games that are dominated by, um, by rubber banding, actually very much like Mario Kart and very much like a lot of the Midway games that do it, um, basically what happens is that it's essentially a handicap against them and it has a very real effect. And the effect is real enough to discourage you from wanting to keep playing. No, but in the case of Mario Kart, which is the one I'm more, more familiar with, it means that you don't just get to lollygag in first place all the time. People are going to come up and, and try to mess with you. So you have to be constantly at the ready to, to yeah, keep doing Yeah, but the problem well. is, well, I, I would actually characterize it differently. I think that when you're in first place in Mario Kart... Um, what actually ends up happening is that if you're a, a, an astute player, you figure out that you don't want to be in first place because it's not like you have to be more careful when you're in first place. You're just a bigger target and you're going to be hit with a lot more attacks that you can't avoid in first place. So the optimal strategy, and this is another weird side effect of these whole, all of these things, is that what you end up doing as an optimal strategy is that you want to actually stay in second place until the very end. Yeah, I, I actually, you're talking about like power-ups and stuff that go after the first player. Yeah, like that's something that you can uh, very rarely uh, always do something about by virtue of skill. Yeah, I got to say, I wish that the blue shell and whatever else might go after the first player. I don't know that there's more than just the blue shell. I wish that it would go after just people in the top three, and perhaps randomly, rather than always going after the, the guy at the head. Um it would make it a little bit more interesting so that you don't have people saying, I'm just going to stay in second place. But anyway, that's, that's not where we're trying to go right now. Um, I, still, I think there can be good and bad to it. Your other examples were, I think, a little bit more clear about just being bad, at least assuming the goal of learning is, is what you want. Um, what, well, what's your let, overall let thesis it, with all of this, though? Well, let me put it this way. It's not that there's any assumption that the goal of learning is what you want. Ultimately, my thesis is that one of the most powerful means you have in video games as a medium is to motivate somebody by teaching them how to learn your game. And I think that learning how to do something better is one of the strongest motivating factors in any activity. In other words, if you're in an activity that you can feel like you can learn quickly and get better quickly. That is like a motivating factor par excellence. And if you do these things in your video games, what you're doing is you're either muting or you're completely erasing uh, any engagement into your game due to learning. Mm -hmm. So it's like we have this power that we can use, but if we do these things, you know, we're not taking advantage of it. And I think it's a shame that more games don't take advantage of it because it can be that powerful. Don't take advantage of not doing those things, you mean? Um, right, because these are things you shouldn't do. Yeah. That, did that make sense? Uh, a little bit. It got confusing <laughs> there for a second. Um, the grinding thing is a little bit... 
I, I don't play a lot of games that have that because I find that supremely boring. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've only ever seen it. I mean, it's basically an RPG thing, right? Like you don't find it in anything else because the idea is just to increase your level. Um, but I mean, what what other what other times do you have to deal with grinding and? Does that really kill it or just delay things? Well, the, f- the funny thing about grinding, and obviously we're, we're not going to get into all the aspects of it or hardly most Not of with them, only but, one minute left, I guess. Yeah. But the funny thing about grinding is that, well, it actually is in a lot of ways self-motivating. Like, see, the problem is, is that it kills motivation by learning, but it reinforces motivation by extrinsic reward, which is, right, you put in the time to do the grind and you get the present. And... You know, there's there's a very real motivating factor there, but at the same time, like, see, here's the, the thing with all of these things is that there's they're very subtle relationships between them. So, all right, well, are we going to be able to hear this talk uh, after you've given it? Or are we going to record it and, and post it up here? Yeah, well, you know, barring any technical failures, um, hopefully, I won't have any Soviet era equipment this time. Okay, well, you know, get a good mic and we'll we'll post it up. Is it going to be like an hour and a half again? Yeah, probably. Okay, good and long. Yep, yep. I actually don't know if we haven't heard any feedback on, you know, when we posted that special episode. I'm curious if anyone listened to it and uh, appreciated it. Even if, I mean, it was really long. Um, so people write to us and tell us what you thought if you, if you listened to Ara's bit that we posted, I don't know, a month, a month and a half ago, something like that. Um, yeah, anyway, that's the end of the show. We're done for today. So another week in the can, and we'll be back next week, of course. Anything to say before we go? Only thing I want to say is good night, guys. All right. Good night, everybody. listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.